This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 1st, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Whatever costs climate change will impose on the world, they'll be easier to mitigate and adapt to if the world is wealthier. So says Chip Knappenberger, Assistant Director of the Cato Institute's Center for the Study of Science. I spoke with Matt Ridley recently about uh, some of the work that he's been doing on sort of the greening of, of planet Earth and, and how that uh, data sort of contradicts conventional wisdom about uh, the planet. But the thing that really stuck with me was this idea that in these scenarios that the panel on climate change uh, recently uh, published, the ones in which the Earth warms the least are the same scenarios in which GDP has grown the fastest and vice versa, which means poorer humans uh, are associated with more climate change, richer humans are associated with less. And for most people who are uh, big true believers in the disaster consequences of climate change, that would seem to be a result that you wouldn't want to see. You probably don't want to see that result, but that's the way of the world, I think. I think it's pretty easily demonstrated that uh, the richer countries are the more environmentally friendly countries. And so as the world becomes richer in the future, that richness is going to be built on the back of new technologies, and those technologies will probably lead to an overall cleaner planet. And so it's a perfectly logical scenario. So a wealthier China, a wealthier Africa would mean new investments in technology that would either sequester carbon or just use a different energy source altogether. Exactly. I mean, there might be some bumps along the way because getting to a richer China, you're probably going to use a lot of fossil fuels to get there because that's sort of the fuel of choice and not of choice, but of of convenience, of security, of reliability that sort of fueling the world now. So we're going to use fossil fuels going into the future. And those technologies that are supported from using fossil fuels and and that economic activity will lead to newer technologies in the future that will someday supplant fossil fuels and lead to a, a cleaner or a less threatening um, climate. Now, uh, when the White House takes those numbers or other uh, federal agencies and international agencies take those numbers, they will point to the scenarios in which climate change would have uh, you know, a negative or dampening effect on, on GDP growth. And I think people uh, uh, seem to agree that that's, that's a poss- real possibility. But when they talk about the shortfall that we would see from climate change in income, that shortfall, as you point out, would be larger the wealthier we are. Right. So it's a, it's the White House like, likes to point to um, the financial damages are gonna that are gonna accrue if we don't do act some if we don't act now to start to mitigate climate change. Um, and the way to do that is throw out big dollar numbers. And they use a construct called the social cost of carbon. How much is uh, a ton of carbon dioxide emissions going to cost us cumulatively as we go forward into the future? Um, and it turns out that that is based on a percentage of the GDP. So if you have a very rich future, 
even though it's one with less climate change, a little bit of climate impact on a rich future adds up to more dollars than does a lot of climate impact on a poorer future. And so the social cost of carbon turns out to be much higher in a richer society with less climate change than it does in a poorer society with more climate change. And it seems to be, that seems to turn on its head the idea of we should act now to protect our future denizens of Earth. Now, uh, this uh, percentage of GDP that they're using, what is the, that basis in reality with respect to carbon or climate change? In terms of how much GDP is going to be affected by climate yeah. change? Well, it's my opinion that the um, projections for the impacts from climate change are overheated, if you will, um, that we are going to get less climate change in the future than is currently perceived because the folks that are putting out the projections are using climate models that are demonstrably too sensitive to carbon dioxide. Um, so you you put in an input of carbon dioxide emissions and it produces an output of, of temperature change. But when you try to compare that output to the temperature change that's already occurred, given the input of CO2 emissions that have already occurred, the observations show a heck of a lot less warming than the models project. And so the future climate change coming out of these climate models is overestimated by, I would say, at least two times, and perhaps even more. And so. The other thing that comes out of that is that the, the confidence bounds of those projections get squeezed down when the, when the um, projected warming is less. So if you have a, a lot of warming, it comes with greater confidence bounds, which means the risk of even more warming seems to be more present than it is if you have projections for less warming with, with tighter confidence bounds. And the new science is coming out that's putting tighter confidence bounds on our um, understanding of how sensitive the climate is to carbon dioxide. And it's less sensitive, and it's, uh, those estimates are, are becoming more robust. So it's reducing the threat of extreme climate change sometimes in the future. And it's with that extreme climate change comes these extreme damage scenarios that everyone's so worried about. Okay, so uh, just to try to put that into, into layman's terms, you're saying that the more observed warming that we would see, that would raise the probability of catastrophic warming. That's right. Well, one of the issues and one of the, the studied topics of climate change now, the most studied topics, is how sensitive is the Earth's temperature and the Earth's climate to um, carbon dioxide inputs. You would think that's something we would all know since we're all worried about putting it into the atmosphere, but it turns out to be a very difficult quantity to come up with. It's called the climate sensitivity. And if you have a science doesn't have a great understanding of the climate sensitivity, which allows people to say, well, it could be very high, which could be a big problem, and therefore we need to act on it now. But new research is coming out that's giving us more robust estimates of that climate sensitivity. And that, those new research is basically eliminating that high end, the, the possibility that, that the climate change is going to be very high. That has not worked its way into these um, impact projection and these impact models. So they're still holding on to this possibility that future climate change could be really high and therefore the impacts could be really high and therefore we need to do something about it now. Okay, and that, that brings me to the next uh, sort of area here, which is, you know, if I took out 
20 dice. And there's a pos- there's a one out of six possibility of getting a six for each of those. Uh, and I, I roll them. There's a possibility that they will all come up six. And let's say I lose all my money at that point. That, that, that's the catastrophic outcome. Well, that's, it's unlikely. And the question, but the question then becomes, how much do I need to prepare myself or how much should I be willing to bet that that uh, is the uh, outcome that I should, how much should I be planning for that outcome? And that, that's really, that's the public policy question that follows whatever our scientific right. determinations right. are. So it's how much are you willing to spend now to protect yourself against that outcome of 26s on those dice? Um, it's a possibility. It's a very low possibility. And I guess that's part of the things that we're grappling with because it's that outcome that could be catastrophic and therefore would obviously um, be very costly. Um, but we sort of face those sort of very low-risk, high, ca- high catast- catastrophic outcome events all the time, right? Um, when we walk down the street, there's some possibility that the driver is going to jump the curb and run over us, and yet we still walk down the street every day. Um, there's a possibility that a meteor might hit us at some, t- and that, that would be bad. Um, but what are we willing to do now to sort of to protect ourselves? It's, it's not that we should ignore that possibility entirely, but I don't think that possibility is the one that should sort of dictate the conversation. Chip Knappenberger is Assistant Director of the Cato Institute Center for the Study of Science. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.